1: Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 3 this Tuesday, October 5th. I call this hour the bringing in of the reinforcements. One riot, one, uh, one ranger. But uh, we have several riots, so I need two rangers, and uh, they are Hugh and Lewis Holman. We bring them in every Tuesday for our third hour. Lewis Holman is the managing director of Insight Analytics. Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe and attorney and town civic activist. Gentlemen, thanks for being here as always.
2: Always a delight, Seth. It is our pleasure and honor. And if you're having a low energy day, bring in the Holmans. There you
1: go. There, there it is. They bring their own cowbells with them. Uh, they also bring their own china with them <laughs> and their own closets. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know where to begin. Uh, do you want to begin with COVID? Do you want to begin with the evisceration of the First Amendment? Do you want to talk about education? Louis, I brought in the reinforcements. You tell me where to start. You do triage for
3: us. All right. Why don't we start with our bread and butter? That would be the COVID pandemic. So Arizona is in the midst of a... Uh, I, I, what I would describe, I guess, is a another session of COVID, another COVID season. This is now our third, third. or four, third, our third third uh-huh. spike currently. Uh, this one began uh, uh, it, sometime in late July, it had hit its high point in mid August peaking at about 45 deaths uh, uh, per day there. Now we're hitting, sitting at about half of that although the data in the last two weeks is as always lagging. So there's a little asterisk on uh, on that. Well, Otherwise I, I, though, I,
2: I, hit hospitalization because I think that's a better indicator. The
3: hospitalization is uh, uh, declining so we're now at 24% of ICU beds occupied by COVID patients and 22. 20% no, I'm of, correcting you it's 22.
1: He's doing it without notes though you gotta give him credit I, I, I to be within two percentage no, points no, no, of the no, right no. answer. And
3: and it's 20%. I'm
2: only percent.
1: <laughs> he's, Go ahead, doing this, he's doing this without a teleprompter. It's pretty good.
3: And 20 uh, percent of better the, than
1: government work. Closer you know, than it is. It is work. As
3: we've seen, government work is, is, you know, the habit of allocating six trillion dollars for a pandemic that doesn't need lots of assistance. So pretty close. Yeah. So he, he, what Lewis has just pointed out, I'm going to add to. And so if, let's say, on average,
2: 22% of our hospital beds are filled with COVID patients. Uh, Two things to keep in mind. Uh, We have complained about the fact that hospitals now have a financial incentive to test everybody who comes in the door. So you have... Uh, people who are coming in for hip replacements who then might test positive for COVID. And they won't tell us that with anybody who has not been vaccinated. They will not report the people who are asymptomatic. They don't have any COVID symptoms. They just happen, happen to have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. The hospital likes that because they get a 20% kicker if you're on Medicaid, Medicare. They we've been criticized for trying to ask the question, what percentage of hospital patients are people who are asymptomatic? They they tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, but they did not have COVID-19. They didn't even know they had it. They didn't even know they had it. Nobody else did.
1: Hell of a disease when you don't know you have right. it, by it, the way. Exactly.
2: No? And that has been the issue all along because it impacts how we calculate morbidity, uh, how many people have died as a result of the disease. The CDC likes to take, and Arizona Department of Health Health Services says, the number of dead people should be divided by the number of positive tested cases we have, ignoring all the people who don't get tested because they don't know they have the disease or they had a very mild case and thought they might have had a cold. We've been begging for now 21 months to please do enough studies so we could better understand what the real mortality is. Lewis has done significant analysis, and he's talked about it. We've talked about it here, about the fact that we use a 60-day standard in the U.S. If you've tested positive any time in the last 60 days and dropped dead, you are a COVID death until now. The CDC has changed what it wants to talk about with respect to anybody who's got a breakthrough case. Why? Because the CDC and the entire current administration is all about everybody getting vaccinated. You must get vaccinated. And they've been lying to you since May about the efficacy of that. We've been talking about the fact that this vac, the vaccines we have, and it's true around the world, the, the efficacy falls off over time. And Israel's done the best studies about it, suggesting that by six months, it's only about 34 percent. Efficacious. That means we should want to get booster shots. Well, the the current administration doesn't want you to get a booster shot. They want you first to make sure everybody and all of your neighbors and friends and now California wants your children to be vaccinated before they'll even contemplate having uh, booster shots. But why am I raising all of this? Because now the CDC wants you to know that they don't want to count deaths of people who have been vaccinated if they died for reasons other than testing positive. So if they've tested positive uh, in the last 60 days and then die in an automobile accident, if you're unvaccinated, you're a COVID death. If you're vaccinated, we're not going to count you. And that's the kind of hypocrisy that destroys a society's view of its government
3: and that it is something to be trusted. That's exactly right. And so this is the, the core of the issue that for the last 21 months, including today, If you go to the CDC's website and you look at the aggregate figures for all COVID deaths, you will not see it broken out into categories that include asymptomatic or not COVID related. But if you go to the same CDC website and look for hospitalized or fatal COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough cases, then and only then. Do they make that note and split out those asymptomatic or non-COVID-related cases? I love this footnote.
2: But it it
1: takes them a while. Exactly right. That data, if I'm not mistaken is about a week behind always, at minimum.
2: Yeah, but more importantly, they only started reporting it that way That's about right. two weeks ago That's right. with this footnote, which I love. Yeah. They won't tell you this for if you're unvaccinated, but for vaccinated breakthrough cases, they say this. It includes, these are for deaths and hospitalizations of people who have breakthrough cases. They've been vaccinated, but they got sick anyway not just they got SARS-CoV-2 but they got they died or are hospitalized this includes cases in which the patient did not have symptoms of COVID-19 or their hospitalization or death was not COVID related now they're telling us they're not covid related but only if you're vaccinated uh, what are they giving as an example? For example, people may be hospitalized for reasons other than COVID-19. <laughs> We've
1: such been as saying an, this for 21
2: months. Such as an automobile accident. That person tests positive when screened upon hospital admission. That applies apparently only if you've been vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated and you you die in a car accident, okay, you're this a covid is, death. This, is, this That's is a the really, hypocrisy.
1: This is a really important point because you talk about the things – Uh, We have asked for studies on there are things we don't actually need a study for because we actually not we, but the government has the information already. The government has that information on the deaths since January of 2020. All they have to do is apply that standard to the last year and a half. And we would have a much better idea of how many people have done have died from covid. They won't tell us that they have that info. States like Arizona have info they're not sharing with us for over a month. For over a month, the only number we get on breakthrough deaths in this in, in this state is 121. That's been the same number for over a month. I am telling you, I am almost 99.9% positive the Department of Health Services has the information that's a little bit better than 30 days old on that.
3: You know, I, I certainly wouldn't. Put it past them to take quite a long time cleaning and putting that stuff out, especially if it if they need to find a way to package it that doesn't poke the holes in the narratives they've been spending the last twenty one months maintaining.
2: Right. The narrative is you've got to get vaccinated, you've got a mask, you've got to get vaccinated, you've got a mask, and, and now go after know. the children. Speak after the children. Speaking
3: of studies that we could be
2: doing, I don't though,
1: mean to, one second on that, Hugh. I, did, uh, Lewis, I'm sorry. I apologize to to say this. I just want to I want to complete this thought because Arizona isn't alone on this. A lot of states are having the same situation, and I think. In in the case of California, particularly which you raised, Hugh, I think the reasoning uh, is because they don't want me, they don't want people like you and me to put together this notion of why are we doing this, this question of why are we doing this to the children? Because when you do crunch the data, you find often enough that in some of these states that do relate the information, the number of Doubly vaccinated, I should say fully vaccinated Americans who have died in that state with or from COVID that they do call a breakthrough death is about five times the number of the children in that state since January oh, way of 2020. Way beyond that.
2: Way huh. beyond that. Let's, let's, okay. let's already look at the data just nationally. Yeah. You've now got uh, deaths. You've got 5,226 deaths uh, of breakthrough cases as of September 27th. We've still had only 413 kids, people under age 18, from the beginning of right. the pandemic to two weeks
1: ago. Vaccinated, they well, So, right. So, so
2: you, right. you've got uh, 12 times as many deaths in breakthrough cases than you've ever had of kids under age 18 in the entire thing. But as important, what they're noting now, and this should not be a surprise, and Lewis will explain this more thoroughly, is that, of course, who is dying from COVID-19 yeah. after they've been vaccinated? It's the elderly. Why? Because they're always the most vulnerable so we're we, and they
1: 're the most vaccinated correct. interestingly and correct
2: they right? they're eighty six percent vaccinated, and now the percentage of of uh, deaths of people uh, who've died being vaccinated uh, is eighty yeah. six percent it 's exactly the same sort of data that one would expect because those are the most vulnerable so now California wants to go after the children, notwithstanding the fact that the risk of covid nineteen for children is very 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 tiny, and the people we 're now protecting. Are the adults in the room We're behaving like children
1: Hold that thought, Lewis Because I'll let you make it On the other side of this break I I think I know where you're going And it deserves a full airing And then I want to talk About the most vaccinated state In the country Let's do it I'm Seth Leifson They're the Hallmans We're at 602 Hallmans, plural I think it's Hallsman Right? Like attorneys general And passersby Hallsman, Big's feet Is the plural of Bigfoot Okay, we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. The man with the best short and long term memory in the world is in the studio, Lewis Hallman. You were about to make a point six or so minutes ago that I, I had to intrude upon before with uh, with an older point, but sir, go right ahead.
3: You've just told a blatant lie. I do not have nearly the best short or long term memory that be probably the worst in lie this I room, okay. I, I would think. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway the, the point I was going to make is that between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated population, we've got very, very different demographics of people in in these two groups. So the average, the median, I should say, unvaccinated person is in their low 30s. They're about 32. The median vaccinated person is in their mid-50s, about 55. These are walloping huge differences between these, these populations and that we should not expect that they will behave at all in the same kind of way, even, you know, uh, at the level of of medical outcomes. So you would expect, for instance, that if seniors are largely the more vaccinated population and still largely the most susceptible to COVID, if they form the bulk of the vaccinated population, that it is utterly unsurprising to us that the vaccinated population is more likely to die from COVID. Sure. Very sure. straightforward. Now, what's interesting about this point? It doesn't mean well. well bad what's interesting is bad.
1: about this point is, the, is Anthony Fauci won't say what you just said. Correct. Or, well,
3: that that is that and is also that's
1: what leads to the distrust. They aren't being fully honest with us or even halfway honest with us.
3: But this point is one that needs to be made in other contexts too, not just in the context of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. This difference, this magnitude of difference, that 25-year-old age gap in the populations is almost exactly equal to the difference between the median age of white Americans and uh, uh, Latino and African Americans. Uh, 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 So every, every bit of racialized nonsense coming out of the lust, all of this bleeding about uh, uh, systemic racism is born entirely of ignorance because they believe that those two populations should behave in the same way. Absolutely. How many 30-year-olds do you know that have a comparable net worth to most 55-year-olds? Most 30-year-olds just got out of school are loaded with debt and have a net worth that is negative.
1: And you also have comorbid or you know, uh, immunocompromisations and, and comorbidities in different races and Abs- different sets of the population based on age stratifications, et cetera. I mean it is it is it is a bad joke when people say we are all the same and they say it with a straight face. Absolutely.
2: It's- and then then point to the differences in outcomes yeah, right. as if it's not related right. to demographics other than race. Right. And Lewis's whole point is you have to analyze all elements of the demographics in order to understand a huge chunk of the differences in outcomes, both in COVID. The vaccinated population are primarily over age 65. So when you find somebody who's been hospitalized and has been vaccinated, it's not a surprise that they're going to have a likelier or worse outcome than somebody who's not vaccinated and is age 30. That's right. That's just the reality in the same way that kids under 18 are not dying from covid-19. Right.
1: And if That's- Anthony Fauci would say it as you just did, people would have a lot more confidence in what they're trying to sell us. Right. Well, or force on us.
3: the problem is he, he can't say things the way I do. He is he is fundamentally unable to because it gives him no room to flip-flop in the position in, in the future should it should it be needed that is why he is fundamentally unwilling to commit to anything like this and then we have Gavin Newsom in California insisting that he's going to hold the population
2: hostage and everybody under age 18 is going to have to get vaccinated if you want to attend school on the grounds he says that uh, mumps, measles, and rubella are exactly the same kind of disease as COVID-19, and therefore he can force everyone to be vaccinated. First of all, mumps, measles, and rubella do damaging things to people under age 18. We have our school kids get vaccinated against those kinds of things, and polio to boot. I think we all have the polio mark of the beast somewhere on our body. (laughs) But we have that because the disease has not only ran rampant through the populations many times and were clearly very, very deadly to young people, But uh, unlike COVID, uh, we had a reason to do that and we could stop the diseases. There were means by which we could create not only a herd immunity, but ultimately suppress it to the point that it is effectively non-existent. COVID-19 is now systemic, not only in the human population, but also in the animal population. That's how we got it in the first place. Whether or not you use a lab to transmit it, uh, you still end up with the...
1: the uh, so it'll never go away. It's, it's, it's a... Zono- my, how do you say endemic. the word? zoonotic? Zonitic? Uh, Z- Zonitic disease? Zoonotic, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So we have... We now have versions of it in rats that the South American variety... South African. The south... What did I say? South American? Sorry. Uh, south of someplace. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, is, is in rats, and so that's going to be a problem for forever. Uh, all of those things exist. But who are we doing this for? Clearly, Gavin Newsom now insists that children be vaccinated not to protect the children, but to protect the adults, his friends who want to go to the French laundry and enjoy
3: dinner without masks. That's right. That's exactly right. See, I, I don't even buy that because if he was really worried about it. Then he would have worn masks and protected himself and his friends at the See, French that's laundry. The, that's the other. Point. If he was if really no. worried about it, he would be taking safeguards. So this is not to protect our children or his friends. This is purely an exercise of he political control. He knows what control. his friends don't. The, uh, he
1: knows what his friends don't. His friends are in team panic mode, and he. But but you're absolutely right. The issue when these governmental leaders, you know, break their own mandates and their own regulations, it's not the hypocrisy. It's that they possibly. They simply are showing that they're lying to us because they couldn't possibly do what they're doing if they were to believe what they were saying. Right. And they want us to believe what they're saying.
2: And Lewis's point is that it's really about consolidating power and being able to continue to herd the uh, children. Uh, their constituents into the right pens uh, in order to control them, because they are smarter and better than the rest of us and know what we should like
3: and what we should want to do and how we should spend our wealth.
2: Taking
3: Gavin Newsom's uh, COVID advice would be rather like taking advice on climate change from someone who flies around the world on private jets. They clearly aren't interested in solving the issue, and they just want to pretend they have skin in the game for political clout.
1: Yeah, right. So th-
3: was th- there a particular movie star you were thinking? You know, I I just kind of, the image flitted through Secretary my mind. Of State, thinking,
1: oh, <laughs> former Secretary of State, maybe. Former Secretary of State. Former Vice President. Yeah. Former candidate for president. Uh, yes, a particular movie star. But there's, a, there's another element to this, too, which I find confounding and I don't have in my own head a good answer for, which is... At some point, aren't they going to be held accountable for the data not moving in the direction they're telling us it's going to move in by engaging in these rather draconian actions? Because I don't think so, we're—yeah, go let ahead. Me, let me
3: answer your question yeah. with another question. Yeah. To what degree were Franklin Delano Roosevelt's various alphabet committees blamed for and then punished for exacerbating the Great Depression? Fair enough.
1: It's a fair point. It's a fair point.
3: Government is largely never punished or never held responsible. That's, right. That's why so many crooks love government. Fair point.
1: It's a fair point. For all the great – take it the next generation to the LBJ and the Great Society for all the complaints about all the problems with the welfare society that have been created in the – now, $22 trillion spent on it. That hasn't moved the poverty needle very much. Nothing changes.
3: Actually, it's moved it in the wrong direction. Yeah, in yeah. the exact opposite direction. And the that, same that with is, rates of family formation and drug addiction and right. criminality and all kinds of other bad things. just keeps
1: going and going and regardless of that.
3: those it. of us
2: on the conservative side recognize that incentives matter and values matter. And family formation is one of those examples that children raised in one-parent households are not as likely to succeed as children raised in two-parent households. No matter how bad or good the household is, holding that issue constant, you're better off with two parents. You're better off in a, in a household in which you've got uh, role models that help you move forward. You're better off in a household for education purposes. Uh, I mean, there, there are just a few rules of life. Don't get pregnant. Before you get married, uh, don't do drugs in a way that causes you terrible distress and stay in school. Live those three values and you're much more likely to succeed in life than you are to fail. But we seem that uh, imposing those kinds of values on our society these days is verboten.
1: In fact, if you're a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania, you can have people marching to get you fired for saying exactly what you just said. People check out the uh, lecture of Amy Wax saying what Hugh Hallman just said. Put her tenure at risk at the University of Pennsylvania. The funny thing is, the research comes from the Brookings Institution. I'm Seth Leafson. They're the Hallmans. We'll be right back. Checkers. Thank you, Dr. B. Endemic, not systemic. He's absolutely right, <laughs> okay. Dr. B. I'd, uh, I, I, I just like to
3: say it's Dr. E.B., but okay. Dr. E.B. I just like that, Seth, that you've cultivated get, get an audience that can, that can correct you on the use of the word endemic. That's yeah. a really nice No, trait. this
1: is our audience. Yeah, I know. It's very Um <laughs> All right. Uh, I thought he was not
2: a real thing that he was like, <laughs> a, a long, never
1: mind. If, if you want to honor uh, Dr. B, get the vegetarian tacos at Chelsea's Kitchen. They're named after him.
2: Very yes. good. I'll Very keep that in mind. Bad. All um, right. I didn't know Ms. Clinton had a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Clinton? Ms. Clinton. Ms. Clinton. No, no, Chelsea. no. Chelsea.
1: Yeah, Chelsea. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, different, Dr. Different, B. Different, 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 um, different. Let's talk about. Our U.S. Attorney General, who is here to enforce our laws, our laws, Thank which goodness. I think usually includes and starts with the Constitution and all of its amendments. Hugh, would you like to start on this uh, one?
2: Certainly. I'm just delighted that our Attorney General isn't a member of our Supreme Court, Yeah, given what his predilections are now, because he is uh, seeking to uh, enforce Uh, The Constitution and ensure that school board meetings are are safe for everyone to attend and that you will not be subject to listening to angry parents complain about masking and and mandatory vaccinations because uh, that would be a threat to our society and what's amazing about it. Uh, that uh, as uh, Merrick Garland has written in a memo, uh, it there's a quote disturbing spike in harassment or harassment if you prefer, Doctor B probably does <laughs> intimidation and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. Period. Unquote. Now, I want to be very clear. I I abhor what occurred at our capital. Use of violence is absolutely unacceptable. I also don't think you should get to scream fire in a movie theater. Falsely. Uh, correctly. F- fair fair it's point. an important point. Oh, that is <laughs> it's an, an important, important point. point. Yes, yeah. falsely. Uh, but uh, the I think the great disturbing piece about this is that it is clear that what is driving uh, our attorney general to this uh, point is that we have school board uh, members who are represented by effectively a union organization uh, that is pressing our federal government to stop the uh, complaint of parents who do not like the narrative that the left has been put forward. Again, we talked uh, just before the break about the fact that the governor of California is now going to insist that children uh, under age 18 must be vaccinated for SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 to protect whom? Uh, Or is it who? Uh, uh, People who are over age 65. And now I, as an educator, I will tell you, If you are someone who has comorbidities that require that you be protected, then we do need to accommodate under current federal law that you have an opportunity to teach in a classroom uh, and be protected from students who might be carrying the disease. Fair enough. But that does not mean you have the right to now use government power and authority to force the vaccination of that child on the grounds that it is like polio. It's nonsense. Now, can they get away with it? Maybe. Depending on who in the judiciary might be ruling on these kinds of cases, it's possible that we'll see new groundbreaking uh, uh opinions, that SARS-CoV-2 is sufficiently dangerous. We now have to uh, vaccinate everybody age uh, 17 and under. Uh, But that is effectively what Merrick Garland is involved in. He is now using... don't you
1: think he's also doing this on the race issues as well that have been raised? Correct. The CRT complaint. So
2: let's... Well, but let's go to this point. Okay. You've got... If you took the news stories that are now covering the fact, both left and right, that are covering Merrick Garland's uh, memo... And instead of uh, talking about school board members and angry parents, if you replace them with members of Black Lives Matter and police officers, you'd have a completely different outcome. Merrick Garland would not be mounting an attack on Black Lives Matter for burning down central cities, for destroying
1: retailers' a property. a federal courthouse in Oregon?
2: Uh, uh, that I visited on three different right. occasions. Where to you continue. go, by
1: the way, to vindicate your civil rights. Correct. It was under firebomb attack for a month. And there wasn't a Democrat on the Judiciary Committee that thought, along with the attorney general then, that it was worth protecting.
2: And so what we are calling out is a hypocrisy. And those on the right are just going to have to get used to it because the reality is this is completely political and it's nonsense. You've got the attorney general threatening parents that they should not go to school board meetings and raise their voices because they uh, will be intimidated by the use of the federal power to stop them. Uh, in complete violation of the First Amendment. Here is Merrick Garland's comment, uh, which we'll have to bring after the break. It's worth listening to, Doctor B. So don't uh, don't go away. Okay,
1: we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lipsen Show. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Holman in the studio today. Several riots going on intellectually. These are my two rangers. Lewis, get us to where we need to go next on this issue. of Actually, Garland. I, get
2: to, I get to finish. Merrick okay. Garland's quote, okay. uh, where he is absolutely dead wrong about the First Amendment. No. So he is now threatening to use the federal government to intimidate parents at school board meetings, essentially, uh, who might be complaining about CRT, might be complaining about mask mandates or vaccination mandates. And he says that uh, the First Amendment's principles yield not only to, quote, threats of violence, unquote, but also efforts, quote, to intimidate individuals based on their views, unquote. The, the First Amendment case law and the development of what our rights and obligations are under the First Amendment are pretty clear. And one has to reach a level of intimidation and threats of violence that are significantly greater than what he's now articulating. Threatening to use the federal power to silence parents who are trying to advocate on behalf of their students for, number one, what they're being taught, the essence of what the education is about, and secondly, the environment in which it's being taught. Do they wear masks? Do they have to be vaccinated? That's the environment. And CRT or other subjects that have caused parents to lose their minds. And Lewis, I think, has some great focus on how CRT really should be put into context.
3: So one of the the best things that you can do when thinking about CRT and advocating against it is actually just critical race theory for those who haven't caught on yet. Thank you. Yes. Uh, So one one of the most effective ways you can argue against it is to just explicitly state its beliefs in its full form, unvarnished and without commentary. So, for instance, if one is a practitioner of critical race theory, one believes that the United States was founded on the principle of white supremacy, that peaceful cooperation between races historically has been an impossibility, and that it is only through one's discovery of critical race theory that one is able to achieve the goal of interacting pleasantly with a member of another race and that any success that members of other races have achieved all through american history is due to their relationship with white supremacy and and therefore largely unearned and that that all 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 grievance and and oppression has to be Run through this racialized history. I'd I'd say all history
1: has to be run through the racial lens, just as Marx talked about having to run it through the lens. And
3: it really is this, this notion that you as a CRT activist, because the nature of humanity up until this point has been one of conflict between the races, the sheer hubris that you and you alone are the first to bridge the racial gap and make progress. It is this. It's this messianic thinking combined with awful postmodernism, combined with about the worst blood and soil rhetoric to ever come out of Nazi Germany. It is appalling.
1: I'm going I'm to write that down. That's an, that's a nice tying together, a collocation of those of those three points, that tricolon. But but there's two other things going on here that haven't been addressed. This is not a major point, but it is interesting how fast we went from. There's no CRT, critical race theory, being taught in the schools too. we are going to sick the FBI on people who talk about it. That's a pretty fast run. Who, who object to it. Right. The other question that I think is interesting is what the hell is this the federal business of a local school board meeting? Where does the Department of Justice come in on meetings that are taking place at local school boards in places like Loudoun County or Maricopa County? Where is this a federal issue? How is the speech going on in a local school board meeting? You don't get more local government than that. You really don't. How is this getting the attention of the FBI and the Department of Justice?
2: And their best effort is to point out the fact that they're being approached by organizations that cover the entire country that represent people from all walks of life within school boards, the school board associations, so members who are volunteers and underpaid, lovely human beings, all who have banded together under umbrellas that are now trying to seek federal intervention. So they're going to have to use uh, Commerce Clause kind of efforts to create a claim by which the federal government even could engage. Will they? I think they'll overcome it pretty quickly, that the federal government's not going to show any hesitation in this terrible environment in which we're facing COVID and all kinds of other important issues to protect our school boards from parents.
1: Let me or- ask you one more thing, Lewis, just one more thing for your dad, if you don't mind. Hugh, you have, I, I've talked about and been involved in federal education policy for years, and i visited a lot of schools, but you've actually built schools. And is it true the thing I have heard from administrators is true in your experience— The thing I have heard from administrators, from teachers, and from teaching assistants is that the Number one mark of a good school is how receptive they are to the parents. This is such an odd thing. Parental involvement is usually the mark of a good school. That's been what I have been hearing for the, for the years that I've been involved in this, 20 or so. But you've built schools. Is that not true?
2: It is true. There is now a footnote to that. Just as uh, the political environment, the activization, the active uh, involvement of the population and the citizenry in their government is the sign of a healthy government. But now we have sort of the super uh, animated extremes that are causing grave difficulty for uh, the likes of Kirsten Cinema. Here's a U.S. senator for the state of Arizona being chased into the bathroom by extremists, and that is an example of how it goes sideways. So what you do have, and I feel sorry for school, some school boards, you've got some very far extreme folks on either side beating up people who are providing their government service. Their community service to the school board seeking to discuss these kinds of issues. So while I'm criticizing Merrick Garland for the federal government involving, uh, getting involved here, I have no qualms about school boards having uh, school resource officers at their meetings yeah. to make sure that people don't commit violence.
1: Like a sergeant at arms. That's
2: correct. But that you have parents who are angry is in part because they're not getting uh, uh interaction with their school boards precisely because folks are taking positions that are fairly extreme as school board members. Our own Tempe Union High School District has uh, now a very far left school board uh, number of school board members who are seeking to impose these kinds of very extreme views on a population that's not interested. But most people have withdrawn out of fear uh, because COVID uh, makes it more difficult to engage, all of these kinds of things. So we do have this trouble. It's a real problem. But Merrick Garland is is not the solution.
1: Lewis, good? I think so. Go ahead. Okay, we'll be right back. Bring us home, Lewis. Bring us home. All
3: right, let's talk, uh, let's talk social media and Twitter at this point. Is it any wonder that our media class is completely deranged when talking to us? The corporate press uses Twitter almost as its sole source of information. However, only, generating about, news stories. Yeah, uh, however, only about 10% of Americans are actually on Twitter. Additionally, Twitter skews overwhelmingly young and overwhelmingly liberal. So is it any question, if this is the microcosm that the corporate press believes is all of the United States' opinions, that they speak to us as if we're a bunch of, I don't know— 17-year-olds. 17-year-olds off to college to study Marxism Mm -hmm. because that's largely the population that they— They get. And here's what we're now seeing in a real way. You've got
2: Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, both Democrats, trying to hold on to the uh, filibuster rule so that the Senate cannot move or take action without 60 votes. It helps to moderate what the Senate does. Why do we still have that rule? Because when the Senate went to direct election, we lost the moderating influence of legislative elected senators, and the senators themselves decided that that would be a continuing way to moderate what they do so that we don't have the volatility that we see in the House. Well, now we've got the I want a bean feast, I want it now Democratic Party, and if they don't get their way today, they're going to burn down the House or the Senate in this case, they're going to destroy those rules. Well, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, the left media is using Twitter— to demonstrate that those two senators are out of touch with their constituents. So all of them are running news stories about the fact that Kirsten Cinema, the senator from the state of Arizona, is absolutely wrong in understanding her constituency because her constituency must all be on Twitter. And the reality is I find it amazing that Kirsten Sinema has been able to hold the middle this long and not support a $4.6 trillion uh, uh, boondoggle for a bunch of folks on all kinds of things that are not about infrastructure and not give up. On the filibuster. You know, I'm a I'm a longtime conservative Re- reagan Republican, Goldwater Republican, and more power to Kirsten Cinema for hanging on to that middle because she's representing the state of Arizona and helping to maintain the structure that Madison wanted to have in place to protect us from ourselves.
1: Hugh Holman, Lewis Holman, everyone in our earshot, thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed.